You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Prevent Defense, the podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is the Prevent Defense Podcast on the Radio.com Sports Digital Network. I am your host, Elliot Shore Parks, along with the one, the only, the legendary Brian Baldinger. What up, Baldy? Well, it's October 17th, and Elliot, we are just cruising along here in this NFL season, and there's just so much to get into. I mean, there's trades and there's divisions that look like they're getting turned upside down, and I hope that we're on top of all of it. We always are, and I appreciate everyone that's been listening to the pod so far. Uh, As always, you can subscribe to us on all your podcast app, and we really appreciate it if you would rate us, leave us a review. We'll make sure we answer any questions that you guys do leave. We have the top knowledgeable football man right here on the pod, so he can answer anything you want. But the big question this week, Baldy, and we've talked about him for a few weeks on the pod now, but did the Los Angeles Rams overpay in the trade for Jalen Ramsey? He's finally dealt... He's going to the NFC and maybe the most competitive division in football, if not the most one of them. So the Rams are trying to jumpstart things a little bit. They give up two first-round picks and a fourth. So very clear the Rams are completely all in. I saw a quote from a Rams player saying, this is how we do it around here. And it's pretty obvious. They paired Jared Goff. They paid Todd Gurley. They trade for Brandon Cooks. So they're an aggressive team right there. A lot of people here in Philadelphia wish Howie Roseman was as aggressive, but I saw you put a really good video out on Twitter kind of breaking down some of the strengths and and weaknesses of Jalen Ramsey's uh, game. So first question, before we get into how it it impacts the Rams, was that an overpay for Jalen Ramsey? I think it was. I think you're really mortgaging your future. I understand the need for the position. They traded Marcus Peters. Aqib Tlaib went on IR. Uh, They don't have enough top flight talent at that position right now to really compete and to get back, you know, and to stay in the race. So I understand the need, but I don't know that any player, maybe, you know, maybe an elite quarterback right now, if something like that was available, that you would give up two number ones, you know, in a fourth round pick the way that the Eagles traded for Carson or, you know, Jared Goff and some of these deals and, you know, the deals that have been made recently, you might do that, but I wouldn't do it for Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Anybody that thinks, and I'm not here to knock Jalen Ramsey, but this is not Deion Sanders. It is not you put Jalen Ramsey on your elite receiver and then just, or or Darrell Revis. He's not Darrell Revis. There is no island with Jalen Ramsey. I've seen plenty of teams, including the Chiefs in week one this year, week five last year. I've seen plenty of teams go right at Jalen Ramsey like he's a good player, but they don't shy away from him. They don't back away from him. The numbers tell you that he's not a shutdown guy. I mean, the nine interceptions in four years, I mean, those are good numbers. They're not great numbers. There's guys that have much better than that. The 46 passes defense is a good number. But I just don't think that 
the idea that you are now in contention when they haven't been able to stop the run. They haven't. Their offense is in is stuck in quicksand. Um, they can't get a yard on the goal line against the 49ers. I mean, this team has a lot of issues. I think getting a player like Jalen Ramsey will send a message to everybody in the locker room that we're in it to win it, and that's a good message. And, you know, maybe Jalen Ramsey with Aaron Donald rushing the quarterback up the middle will play better than he has played. But I just think to answer your question that that price was awfully high, and I thought that's why the deal didn't get done beforehand. I didn't think anybody would put up a bounty of two first-round picks and a fourth to make the deal for Jalen Ramsey. Here's why I think it might not be an overpay. And you mentioned, you know, investing in this team if you're the Rams. I mean, the Rams obviously coming off that loss to the 49ers, you can make the argument they're the third best team in their division. So I, I, I get the thing of why invest in this team. Like they have other things they need to improve on. But the unique situation with Jalen Ramsey to me is his age. And when you can get a 24-year-old cornerback that you're right, he's not Deion Sanders. And I thought the one clip uh, that you put out there and for Rams fans, I mean, sorry, Jaguars fans, they know this. But when they played the Chiefs and Ramsey was matched up one-on-one with Tyreek Hill from about the two-yard line, like that's where you're worth that's that's where you should be worth the two first round picks in the fourth. Like the Rams need Ramsey to be elite in that situation, and you give up a touchdown to Tyree Kill. So I well, it was actually like, Sammy Watkins. It was just Sam, it was Sammy Watkins. Sorry, I mean, Sammy I don't Watkins. Wanna, but, yeah, but you saw you right. saw what I was watching. Right, but when when you're matched up one on one in the red zone, like that's when you have to be elite. That's when you have to be worth the pick. So I, I I do think that this changes outlook a little bit for for the Rams, but I'm not sure it makes them one of the best teams in the division. But where I do think Jalen Ramsey is worth it is just because of his age and his potential. I mean, the dude is 24 years old. Like you'll have people in this year's draft that aren't much older than Jalen Ramsey, if not older already. So. In that regard, I think you get a building block for your team. You now have him and Aaron Donald Donald on defense that you can build around. If you view it as basically Jalen Ramsey was your first-round pick this year, you're really only giving up one extra pick. Now, there's the financial aspects to it, and I get all that. But I think that Jalen Ramsey's age makes him uniquely worth it. And the other thing I'll say is when you look around the league, I still do think you build through the draft. Like I, I think that's not completely gone away yet. But... You know, Amari Cooper got traded for a first-round pick last year to the Cowboys. They don't win that division if they don't make that trade. Uh, Khalil Mack, we all saw what he's done in Chicago. Laramie Tunsil from Miami to Houston, they paid a large amount to get him, and he's really helped them. So I think that when when you talk about building through the draft, that's still true. But if you can get an elite-level young talent, I don't think you can ever really overpay for that. So if Jalen Ramsey comes there— and he plays at the level he has throughout his career so far, he will be worth those picks. I don't know if he turns it around this year for the Rams, but I love the aggression. I love going out and paying a premium price for a premium player. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, really, there's nothing to disagree with you. You get the player for, you know, the, the second contract and really going into the prime of his career prior to whatever back injury he says he has. He had yeah, played 51 concern. straight games, including playoff games. You know, going into this last three games or two games, whatever it is that he's missed. So, I mean, there is there is that aspect to it that he has been a very healthy player. He does know how he does have great man to man skills. Um, so we'll see. We'll we'll see if he comes to Los Angeles and wants to be that type of a player. I don't know. You can't possibly make this a one year rental and not resign him. You have to mm-hmm. be ready to to probably pony up somewhere in that fifteen to twenty million dollar range. Uh, to sign him long-term and get him locked up for the next four or five years. 
And that's interesting. interesting thing right now in the NFL in general, and this is maybe a larger discussion, but with the CBA coming up, like I've heard that Ramsey might be willing to wait until after that happens to see, okay, maybe after the CBA I can get a more advantageous deal for myself. But you're right. I mean, he's going to be in L.A. long term. The Rams wouldn't have traded that amount. They didn't get that indication or if they weren't willing to pay that type of money. So for the future, this is a huge move for the Rams. You've touched on it a little bit, but right now for this team to win this division – how much does this change things? Because it's not like the NFC West is loaded with elite receivers really outside of the Rams. I mean, the Seahawks ha- ha- have good receivers. The-, the 49ers don't really have great receivers at all. And the Cardinals aren't in serious contention. So when you look at that, how much do you think Ramsey increases the Rams' chance of winning that division? Well, they don't look like the Rams of the last two years right now, Elliot. I mean – you know, they're down there in the 7-7 game in the second quarter on the one-yard line. They can't get a yard. Now, I know, you know, Todd Gurley didn't play in the game. But, you know, between Malcolm Brown, a quarterback sneak, um, you know, Daryl Henderson, whatever. I mean, you got to gain a yard against the 49ers and make that a game. They couldn't gain a yard in the middle of the field in the fourth quarter when they were down 20-7. to um, Jared Goff has struggled in these last couple of weeks. He struggled against uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He struggled last weekend. So I don't know that Sean McVay and his, you know, um, his, his play calling can fix some of the problems that I've seen offensively. Uh, they have, you know, they've gone with two young offensive linemen and their left guard, Joseph, Joseph Nopum, went out last week. They traded for Austin Corbett from the Cleveland Browns. Maybe they're going to shore up the interior of the offensive line. But they don't look like the same offense that basically set the, the league on fire over the last two weeks. And whatever they do defensively can only help. But, uh, you know, and maybe Jalen Ramsey can help take the ball away more than they are right now. And they can give extra bats to Jared Goff in the offense. But they don't look like an elite offense right now the way that we expected them to be. I think this is a, a critical point of Sean McVay's career. Uh, obviously, coming off the Super Bowl and what he did his, his uh, I guess, rookie year as a head coach, he's already considered one of the best head coaches in the NFL. And I think, you know, with, with good reason so far. But what you see with coaches, and maybe you're seeing this a little bit with Doug Peterson now, but I would say more so, more so with McVay, is, is he going to adjust? Like, when I watched the 49ers and Rams game, I said, 49ers have way less talent on offense, in my opinion. But I see better coaching on that side of the football from an offensive perspective. I thought the play designs were better. I thought they were more creative. When I look at the Rams, if Goff's not playing at a high level, if you know Todd Gurley's not himself, then the McVay offense really stalls. So I, I wanted to pick your brain on this. When you compare McVay to Kyle Shanahan, uh, McVay is already considered one of the best offensive minds in the game. But is Shanahan already up there? Like, who do you see as the better coach right now? Because now, granted, the Rams are going against a far better defense than um, than the 49ers' offense is. But just in terms of play design and calls, like who do you think is getting more out of their offense right now? Well, I think if you give Kyle Shanahan 30 minutes, he'll come up with a great game plan. If you give him a week, you're going to see five plays that you haven't seen before. I mean, yeah. that's Kyle Shanahan. So he's got a great coach there that runs their run game coordinator, Mike McDaniels. I've talked about him before. He's been in demand around the league. I mean, he really helps out Kyle. I mean, they were all in Washington together with Mike Shanahan. So, I mean, they have a lot of the same type of designs. Uh, but, you know, the, the 49ers don't have receivers like Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup, you know, with Robert Woods. I mean, they don't have those three receivers. But, you know, George Kittle, Marquise Goodwin, you know, Dante Pettis. I mean, I, you know, as long as you give Kyle Shanahan some speed, 
um, and you give him a viable running game the way they have, I mean, I think that guy can create with the best of them. And he also is, you know, he's a top flight play caller. He knows when to call these plays. And I'm not taking anything away from Sean McVay because I think he can do the same thing. But I do see the Rams unable to get the chunk tight plays that they've had with those two-man speedo routes the last two years. Teams are just sitting back and they're taking those away right now. And if that was Kyle Shanahan, he would not just be running the same routes that everybody's sitting on. You'd see a bunch of new stuff every week. Like, I mean, even like last week, without Kyle Juszczyk, you know, they put George Kittle in the backfield in offset fullback position. He'd never been that position before. And he, you know, they ran a play-action fake like he was going to go block the middle linebacker. And then he went right up to him, and then he went right around him, and they threw the ball right down the middle of the field to George Kittle for 45 yards. I mean, that type of – I mean, it doesn't sound like all that creative, but if you've never seen it at all, all year, Kittle in that position, and then you pull it off, um, you know, that's what Kyle does. And like I said, you need that, about 30 minutes for that guy to come up with a pretty good game plan. Yeah, last time we recorded this pod, I said I wasn't completely in on the Niners yet. Still have a little bit of question about Garoppolo, but, man, you go into L.A. and you beat the Rams the way you did. I am very much in on the 49ers. I think they are legitimate, and at this point, they should – probably be considered in serious contention for that number one seed in the NFC or at least one of those top two seeds. So exciting time out in San Francisco. But one last team in the NFC I wanted to ask you about before we, we move on to uh, some other things going on around the league, the Seattle Seahawks. They go into Cleveland last week. They beat the Browns 32-28. to Russell Wilson might be the MVP of the league right now. When you watch the Seahawks, is it as simple as Wilson is just playing at a, a level very other, very few other quarterbacks are, or how are they continuing to win? I mean, they've won three in a row. They're now five and one. So they're in contention for that top seed as well. Well, they are a, a dynamic offense because of Russell Wilson. I mean, they still want to run the football. They're in the top 10 in running the football. They weren't number, they aren't number one like they were a year ago. So not quite as good there. They lost their tight end. And we got to see what happens when you lose a tight end. The way that, you know, they the way this this kid was playing, um, you know, I I, I got to see how they adjust. You know, they traded away Nick Vanette to Pittsburgh, so they're going to lose that aspect. And yeah. he was an every down tight end, and he was good in blocking games. So they're going to lose, they're going to lose some stuff. Um, but Russell Wilson never blinks. It doesn't matter what the situation is. He still has to throw the year to Tyler Lockett on Thursday night against the Rams in the corner of the end zone. Nobody else, made, only Patrick Mahomes can make that throw. Maybe Aaron Rodgers on a great day. But, I mean, it's just an elite, elite throw. Um, but there's nothing that he can't do. I mean, if, if you need him to run the ball, he can run it. If you need him to beat you throwing it, he can do that. If you want to make sure that you are aggressive but don't turn the ball over, he'll play that style. I mean, you know, sometimes you have to be able to play with one hand tied behind your back. And I think Russell does that as well as anybody in the league right now. He's a big part because defensively, they're not great yet. I think they're going to get better, but they're not great in any category right now. Uh, their only loss was at home to New Orleans, and the Saints played a great game that day with Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback. But that's a big win for them to go across the country twice now this year and to beat Cleveland like that the way they did. I think if I had to rank them right now, I would go Seahawks, 49ers, Rams. If I had to rank those top three right now, real quickly, how would you rank them? 
Well, I think Seattle's played a better schedule, so I, I put them number one. I'd probably go the same way. I mean, San Francisco yeah. goes to Los Angeles to beat some head-to-head. Uh, that's probably how I would rank them right now. And I'm not going to just completely ignore the Arizona Cardinals. I know they've beaten Cincinnati Miami in back-to-back weeks, and that's not saying much in this league. But it's still – they're still so much better than they were yeah. a year ago. It's not, even, it's not even funny. And Kyle Murray just keeps getting better. He's going to give – any one of those three teams, a fit when he sees them. It's going to they're, – they're, they're getting better. And I don't want to just eliminate the Arizona Cardinals because I like what I see from Kyler Murray and, and parts of that offense. Yeah, and look, you mentioned the teams they beat. I think a lot of people would put the Cardinals in that group coming into the year. So they are starting to separate themselves a little bit from a team where you see them on the schedule and you just think that's an automatic win. And the thing I'll say about Kyler Murray too is I believe at the quarterback position you can – almost tell right away when a guy goes in. Like, people improve and, you know, you need time to adjust, but you can tell right away if a quarterback has it, right? And some of the throws Kyler Murray makes, like, I can see him making those throws for eight-plus years. So when he was coming in the league, he's viewed, you know, he's small, does he love baseball more, all all those things, is he a thrower? He's had some ridiculously on-target throws. I mean, I watch Carson Wentz every week, and he makes some great throws, and I see Kyler Murray making those throws as well. So that's extremely encouraging. Um... Another team that probably two or three weeks ago we would have mentioned as the best team in the league maybe is starting to lose their shine a little bit, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs. So they've lost two in a row now with losses to the Colts and the Texans, so two other teams in the AFC that they're competing for or will be competing for for that number one seed. What's surprising to me is so they score 13 points against the Colts and then 24 points against the Texans. Now 24 points for some teams is a good output, but for the Chiefs, that's like what's going on here. And then the single digits or the 13 points is is just insane. So how much of this is Patrick Mahomes dealing with an injury? How much of this is just the the play design or people figuring them out? Like what's your level of concern right now with the Chiefs? Well, I saw him last week. I, I did that game in Kansas City, so I saw what the Texans did to him. I mean, basically what the Colts and Texans have done are, are basically identical. I mean, they ran the ball really, really well. I mean, the te- in, in both games, uh, it was almost a two-to-one difference in time of possession. So you're keeping Patrick Mahomes off the field for long stretches of the game. He is bothered by that ankle injury. He re-injured it again last week. You can tell just the way he moves and the way he throws that the ball isn't jumping out of his hand right now the way we're used to seeing it. That's effective. But the other – part to this outside of the Chiefs defense just giving up so much yardage and the fact that the Chiefs offense are playing with a backup left tackle and a backup left guard and Houston really took advantage of that but the the Chiefs are having a hard time beating man coverage I mean I saw Lonnie Johnson you know really take Jason Kelsey out of the game or Travis Kelsey out of the game for uh, the second half of that game I saw Bradley Roby shut down wide receivers I mean they're struggling to beat man coverage and it's that's what the Colts did starting the second quarter of that game. The, the the Chiefs really carved them up in the first quarter. This is what Patrick Mahomes told me. He said, and then they went to a man-to-man scheme, and they struggled. They struggled last week against it. I wrote about it. I said, there is a formula out there that if you rush four and you can get home the way the Texans did with uh, Whitney Merciless and J.J. Watt and some of the guys they had, and you play sticky man coverage, and you have an extra Robert in the middle of the field for their crossing routes, you make Patrick Mahomes hold the ball a little gimpy right now. You're not going to get those explosive plays that you were used to seeing. And mm-hmm. two weeks in a row, they've been hampered by it. And I expect Denver's playing much better, much better. And there are a lot of guys you don't know about, Alexander Johnson, Malik Reed, guys that you're going to hear about tonight 
that are capable of playing that style of defense against the Chiefs. And so we'll see if they can break this streak. But that's the formula out there right now, Elliot, and I think teams are watching it. That's kind of my concern with the Chiefs, and it's, I've always had this concern a little bit about Tyreek Hill. Obviously a very explosive player and can create separation, but when you look at their receivers, like Tyreek Hill's undersized, and obviously he, I think he has some trouble winning those physical one-on-one matchups, as you said. And then you have Sammy Watkins, similar type player. McCole Hardman, a rookie, and then also more of a speed guy. So my concern is, and I think you saw this a little bit last year in the playoffs, but these guys, when they have to win one-on-one type matchups, like do they have an Alshon Jeffrey out there that can out-physical another cornerback? Like if these guys really get up on them, as you mentioned. So that would be one of my concerns if I was the Chiefs. If I were them, I would consider potentially going out maybe trying to trade for a guy, like a bigger type physical guy. We'll see if the, the Bengals are willing to trade A.J. Green. Uh, that would be a perfect fit for them if, if, if uh, he was healthy. But, I mean, how much of that do you think is just their personnel uh, Travis Kelsey can do it over the middle, but he's a tight end, so it's a little more difficult to get those chunk plays. H- how much of that is it, of it is just straight-up personnel at receiver? Well, I mean, they've been playing without Sammy Watkins for two weeks now. I mean, he is that guy. He's that guy. He's their A.J. Green. Um, it's what he did to Jalen Ramsey. Uh, you know, but he has had injury injury uh, history, and uh, it's it's jumped on him now. Byron Pringle's taking his place, and he's not a small guy. McCole Hardman's not a small guy. I mean, Tyreek is the only guy that is short, and he outjumped the entire Texan team for the opening touchdown of the game. So he plays much bigger. I mean, they just have to be better at what they're doing, and really what Patrick Mahomes needs is more time for them to beat man-to-man coverage. And right now, with uh, Cam Irving playing left tackle and Andrew Wiley out at left guard, uh, they have struggled to hold up. And so as much as Andy Reid you know, is in love with the passing game and wants to get five guys out, he's got to adjust. Um, their offense line isn't good enough to hold up right now. And the other thing is, I'm just watching Shady McCoy. Shady's having a good season. He's got good numbers. But he's not he, – I mean, you just watch him warm up. I mean, this is 10 years in his business now. And yeah. he's not the same guy. And so they're not getting a great run game right now. And they could certainly use the way to run the game, run the ball a little bit better than they are right now. So before we get into this next game or the next uh... – uh, matchup that we're going to talk about. I wanted to remind the Prevent Defense listeners that every Sunday you can watch your local CBS game live with CBS All Access. You can catch games at home or on the go across all your favorite devices. So go to cbs.com insider to get a free one-week trial of CBS All Access. And speaking of Sunday, I think we have one of the most exciting games of the year so far coming up on Sunday night with the Eagles versus the Cowboys. I want to talk about both those teams where we get into that specific matchup because both of them are coming off of probably their worst losses of the season. The Eagles lost for different reasons in Minnesota. I mean, they just got blown out. And then the Cowboys lost, although it was close. You could argue an embarrassing loss against the Jets on the road. So the first question I have for you is the Cowboys offense. Tony Romo mentioned during the broadcast that he's starting to see a little bit more of the Jason Garrett-type influences in those play calls. Just, you know, Jason Witten, Jason Witten, Jason Witten. Like, just looking different than it did at the beginning of the year when they had Kellen Moore making the calls. When you watch that Cowboys loss to the Jets, how much of their struggles on offense was Amari Cooper on the sideline? And how much of it, of it do you think is play calling? Because Jason Garrett has been criticized throughout his career for, you know, his ability to, to make play calls. Well, I mean, you'll see the amount of motion in uh... – shifting that you saw early in the year in their three-game win streak. You don't see as much of that right now. Uh, that's certainly Kellen Moore, and I thought that really helped them. 
they played without Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb. So now you're down to Tavon Austin. You know, Devin Smith did not play. So you're basically your top three receivers are out. Um, but that doesn't excuse. I mean, third and one, Ezekiel Elliott can't get if a yard. Now they're without their two starting tackles. Lyle Collins went out. Uh, they didn't play with Tyron Smith. The offensive line isn't the same. You know, you miss on third and one with Zeke Elliott, you lose a yard. On fourth and two, you run a quarterback power at Dak Prescott, and you can't gain two yards, and you lose a yard. I mean, that was a critical series in the game. Uh, but, you know, nobody wants to hear about injuries. But if you're, without your two starting tackles and your top three wide receivers, the offense isn't going to look the same. Um, yeah. So that's part of it. Uh, you know, if you really study this defense, they don't take the ball away, Elliot. They have five takeaways in six games right now. They they have two interceptions, and they got one last week um, from Jordan Lewis, but they haven't forced a fumble. I mean, they haven't knocked the ball out of anybody's hands in three straight games. So, you know, they, they lose to the Saints, uh, you know, and you just go through these games here, and you never see the ball come out. They don't strip it. They don't punch it out. They don't uh, get after quarterbacks to get it out of their hands. They, they don't take the ball away. And – if your offense is turning it over like they did against Green Bay, um, then you you got to counter that somehow. you got to find some possessions. And they're not getting any short fields. They're not getting any extra possessions. And I think if they wanted to jumpstart their season, that would be the first thing that I would really be concentrating on. If I was Rod Marinelli, Jason Garrett, Chris Richard, you know, if I'm standing up in that meeting room, I'm putting up, like I did on NFL Network this week, I'm putting up five different examples of plays where the ball could have easily been punched out, and they're not doing it. They're not even trying. So I think that is something that really is plaguing this team. Yeah, and look, it was an issue that they struggled with last year. If I remember correctly, I think they were maybe 28th in the league last year and taking the ball away, and they've been even worse at it this year. Now, the problem is with that, and you can make this argument for any team, but when you have an offense that without your top three receivers and definitely without Amari, if you're going to struggle to score, like they need those extra possessions. I mean, watching the Cowboys game against the Jets, like they they were just struggling to move the ball. And then they kept shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, the penalties on that final drive were ridiculous for, ridiculous for both sides. But even then, I thought that was a game they should have won. I'll admit I was very surprised the Jets won that game. I've certainly ripped Adam Gase a lot. But to beat the Cowboys with uh, Sam Darnold back was extremely impressive. But the Eagles lost to Minnesota. I, I was in Minnesota for that one. Um, the Vikings are, are really good when Kirk Cousins has time. I mean, that defense is really good. Uh, they have one of the best set of skill position players I've seen this year in person. I mean, watching Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook in person is very different than watching Alshon Jeffrey, Zach Ertz, and Jordan Howard. Just the speed, the explosiveness. So the Vikings look really the good. Route on the flip, The route running, exactly. I mean, Alshon's not exactly a great route runner. Uh, Zach Ertz is, but neither of them are very explosive. Um, the Eagles have a lot of issues right now. We can talk on either side of the ball. Uh, the Eagles' defense, the cornerbacks have not played very well, but it's tough to play cornerback in a Jim Schwartz defense. He leaves leaves you out on an island a lot, and especially when they're not getting that pressure, you see what's happening. How concerned are you about the Eagles' cornerbacks when you watch them play? Well, I mean, you can't help it, but be concerned. I mean, it's been going on all year, and they can wait for Ronald Darby to get healthy and, and Avante Maddox to get back, but I mean – if you look every single week here, I mean, you know, Stephon Diggs, you know, runs, you know, a route on Craig James, you know, just a double move. He gets inside. Adam Thielen works Sidney Jones. 
you know, just masterfully in the corner of the end zone and gets separation and Kirk Cousins delivers it. I mean, every single team, including the Jets the week before, they're running double moves on these corners. And it's the old adage, Elliot, like they're going to get a dose of this until you can stop it. And they can't yeah. stop it. I mean, even the long touchdown to Stephon Diggs, I don't know what Rasul Douglas was doing. I don't know what any of the corners were doing. I mean, everybody was open on the play. And so, you know, they're, they're having breakdowns and they're having trouble covering. And I know Howie Roseman was in love with the deal, uh, getting Sidney Jones and redshirting him for a year. But I haven't seen anything near what they were hoped to expecting from him. Now, maybe, and, and I've never seen it from Ronald Darby. Um, so I, I, it's, a, it's, it's a problem. Now, the solution is to get a better pass rush. And it's not there. Now, nope. you know, they, they, they invested in some older guys, which is all backfiring. I mean, Malik Jackson out for the season. Uh, I, I guess they can wait for some of these defensive tackles to get back, and maybe that helps. But, you know, Fletcher Cox right now is getting doubled every play, and he expects that, and we expect that. But he's not beating double, you know, any sort of double uh, man, you know, double teams. He's not beating it. And yeah. he's paid to beat double teams. He's paid to penetrate and push the pocket. And he didn't do that against Minnesota and the guards, Josh Klein and, you know, Garrett Bradbury and Pat Elfline. He did not do that this week. Uh, Brandon Graham is their best interior rusher when they go to a nickel rush. But he can't play left end and defensive tackle right now. So they have a problem there. I mean, right now Jim Schwartz is looking at either blitzing the entire kitchen sink and leaving guys out there on an island, which they got away with a couple of times. But, you know, when you do that, sometimes you get the bull and sometimes the bull gets you. You have to live with the consequences. It wasn't good against Detroit for a touchdown to Marvin Jones. So they have some issues. But I'll say all of that, and, and that's none of that is good, Elliot. But I thought Doug Peterson had a chance in that game to take control of the game. You're a learned man, Elliot. And in literature, the denouement is when all of the facts kind of come together in a story to reveal the conclusion, the ending. Yeah. And I thought with nine minutes to go in the third quarter, the Eagles were down 24-17, and they were driving. They started on the 45-yard line. They threw a 26-yard throw down the sidelines to Alshon Jeffrey. He got behind Trey Waynes. He couldn't stay in bounds. He gets out of bounds. They run, they run Jordan Howard twice in a row. They gain eight yards. And on third and two, rather than – run Jordan Howard again, because you know you're at the 21-yard line. You're in four-down territory. If you gain a yard, you're at least a quarterback sneak away from continuing that drive. And Doug Peterson, in that moment, he decided to throw a hitch route to Alshon Jeffrey, and he lost a yard, and they kicked a field goal. And they mm -hmm. went, you know, and everybody just sort of said, okay, 24-20. But to me, if I'm Lane Johnson or Brandon Brooks, and I'm in that huddle, and I hear that play call, I'm livid. I'm like, they have a chance to take the game over. I don't know if they're going to score a touchdown the drive or not. But you're going to at least have more shots at chopping the tree and pounding the belly of that Viking defense. And that's what broke the Green Bay defense in their signature win this year up in Green Bay. They never got away from it. And they went away from it in the moment of the game that I thought they could have taken control of the game. And that's something that if I'm Doug, and I know people always kind of point to play calling, and I'm not one of those guys that do it because it's about execution. But nobody was going to stop Eric Hendricks from tackling, um, you know, Alshon Jeffrey on that play. He just he, – there was nobody to block him. He read it right away. Why wouldn't you 
just keep taking shots at the Viking defense. You, you could just mm-hmm. feel, I mean, you were in the stadium, Melly. You could feel that they were getting right back in the game at that moment. And they, and they, yeah, they, they lost they had that all moment. Momentum. They, they had all the momentum yeah. on that drive. All and I actually, I actually think that drive, to me, is a perfect example of what the Eagles' real problem is here. I mean, we talked about the defense and the cornerbacks have to play better. But the reality is, it's still, if you have an elite offense in this league, you're going to win a lot more games than you lose. And Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson are 8-9 and nine in their last 17 starts together. Like, this is a duo that's supposed to be one of the best head coaching quarterback in, in the NFL. Forget just the NFC. In mm-hmm. the NFL, like, Doug and Carson are discussed at that level. And over a 17-game stretch, if you're if you're losing more than you're winning, I really have to question you. And that that throw to Alshon, I thought, you mentioned how Alshon ran out of bounds. I watch Carson every week, and he makes two or three plays a game that just stun me on third down. Like, he misses a guy, he's on the run, he finds Zach Ertz for a first down. Like, he's been excellent in the red zone, and that's why they've really scored as many points as they had, because their, their yardage, both passing and running, are not near the top of the league. But Carson, to me, has accuracy issues. And I think that that throw to Alshon was a pretty perfect example. Alshon was behind his man. He's running down the field. It was a good throw. But if he lofts it, if he leads Alshon, that's a touchdown. Instead, I agree. He, he puts it on a rope, right, carries Alshon out of bounds. People here in Philadelphia are still afraid to criticize Carson. So they say Alshon ran out of bounds. Like, no, Alshon didn't run out of bounds. He was led out of bounds. Alshon mm-hmm. knows how to run straight. So I think that's been right. a problem with the offense. And I think that Doug Peterson's play calling, he's had some really good moments. Um, and like you, I think that play calling is hard to diagnose sometimes because it could be a great play call, but if Carson makes the wrong read or someone misses a block, you don't really know what it was going to be. But Doug also holds some responsibility for the fact that the Eagles consistently come out of game slow. I mean, they've been down 10-plus points in five mm-hmm. out of their six games. The only game they were up was against the Jets. Mm-hmm. And they played like a JV team that day. So mm-hmm. I think that Doug and Carson, like we'll all talk about Sidney Jones and we'll talk about the defense. Like they are what they are. Sidney Jones is not making franchise quarterback money, right? Mm-hmm. Like the defense, that's not where Howie invested his money. So I think that Doug and Carson really need to turn things around if the Eagles are going to turn around this season. I agree. And really, this is a watershed game for both yes. the Cowboys and the Eagles. I mean, really – Whoever is in first place after seven games doesn't really make much difference. I mean, there's a lot of football to be played. Um, But it is a watershed game for both. Because if the Cowboys lose, they lose four in a row. And you know know exactly what that is going to sound like in Dallas. They're going to call for Jason Garrett's head. And they're going to be relentless about it. It's all going to be Jason Garrett. Regardless of who's hurt, who's playing, Dak Prescott, regardless. That is all you're going to hear coming out of Dallas. You're hearing it right now. But if they lose to Philadelphia and they fall to three and four, and now all of a sudden Jerry Jones went from being a Super Bowl contender even this week, Elliot, you heard it, to saying, yep. well, you know, we can win the division. We get a home playoff game. I mean, he's like almost wishing. But if they lose this week, that team, I, I, I played in Dallas. I know that city. I know that town. I know how Cowboy fans are. They will, they, first of all, they don't show up. I mean, they will jump off that ship. And they'll ride, you know, University of Texas or whatever else they're going to do. But they they will not back that team. However, if the Eagles lose this game, because I think the strength, it, going back to my third and two call that just baffles me all week, the, the, the clear strength to this football team has been and is the offensive line. I think the two backs are good. They're not great, but they're good enough. Yes, I agree and with Carson, you on that. And Carson as a runner. 
Carson as a runner is a great runner. And the idea that you're going to protect him and you're going to save him from this, forget it. Like, you, you just got to, like, just take all the shackles off. Just let him play because he's not yep. going to change who he is. So, to me, you have to look at those three backs and go, this is our, this is our strength. This is what we do best. But we have to we have to give these guys enough reps to figure out what the defense is doing, how they're shading us, how they're protecting the linebackers. Like you just gotta pound it. And if you're gonna fall down ten nothing like they did to the Vikings or seventeen nothing like they did to the, the Redskins, you might as well start chopping wood and pounding the belly of these teams and letting Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson and Dallas Goddard and Isaiah, you know, Trey, uh, Sam Allah, let these guys yeah. go to work. Where, like they did in 2017, they can just run to daylight in the fourth quarter and finish these games out. And so, to me, that has to start against an undersized Dallas defensive line on Sunday night. And if they come out and try to start throwing the ball around the yard and they let Dallas's speed interfere because they, they have great speed on defense at all positions. But if you let them use their speed to their advantage, the Eagles are going to limp home and they're they they're going to be looking they're going to be looked at as an outsider to make the playoffs in the NFC. Yeah, I, I think this is the biggest game of Carson Wentz's career so far. I mean, he's lost to Dak three of the four times they've played that has actually mattered. He's played pretty poorly in all those losses. And the only win they had was in 2017 where the Eagles were on an incredible hot streak and the Cowboys were kind of fumbling along. So when these teams have played at even-type strength, Dak always wins. And I get that the game is not always decided by the quarterback, but I'm a big quarterback win-loss record guy, and I believe that that matters, that Carson has lost three other four times to Dak. So that that is concern. But my my issue, I think, is well, something I think is going to be an issue for the Eagles, Jason Peters isn't playing this week. And Jason Peters isn't the player he was three years ago, but he's played at a high level, in my opinion. Like, he has not been an issue. You very rarely talk about Jason Peters unless it's the fact that he's been coming out of the games, which he has been. But when he plays, he's played at a high level. You're putting Andre Dillard in there. Andre Dillard was their first-round pick. They got him at 24, I believe, but he was discussed as a top 10, top 15 guy. He needs to go in and play at a high level right away. Like, you saw him last week against the Vikings, and I get he was thrown in there. He didn't get a full week of practice reps. But he allowed seven pressures in very limited snaps. He was really pushed around. And his strength is supposed to be pass blocking. I agree with you. The Eagles need to go in there and run the ball because they are they do have that advantage. When I look at the Eagles, I think the only real strength they have, the thing I can say they're really good at, is the offensive line. And I think they can go in there and overpower the Cowboys. But if Andre Dillard is a, is a problem, both in pass block and run and run running the ball, the Eagles have a, have a real issue because that's your left tackle. That's Carson's blind side. And that's going to really hamper the offense. I mean, how concerned are you about Andre Dillard going against a, t a pretty talented Cowboys uh, pass rush? Well, he got schooled pretty good by Everson Griffin starting on the first play on Sunday. Yeah. So that's not, you know, real encouraging. I mean, I saw guys that the Houston Texans took when the Eagles jumped in front of them to take Dillard in, you know, Titus Howard and Max Sharpening. And they were both starting last week for Houston. And they looked really good until Titus got hurt last week. But Max Sharping looks like the real deal right at left guard for the, you know for the Texans. But look, he, he he's he's kind of a passive guy. Yes. Um, you don't see a lot of violence out of him. Now you don't want to go crazy out there. I mean, all you have to do is stay between your man. But he's going to get tested by Robert Quinn. He's by far the Cowboys' best pass rusher this year. He had two sacks last week. He's going to get 
and, and Robert Quinn is first round pick. North Carolina's put up a lot of numbers in this business. Uh, wherever he's played, whether it was the Rams or Dolphins or now the Cowboys, he's a quality defensive end. And he's a good pass rusher. So this is what they drafted him for. I mean, I was actually mildly surprised that they brought Jason Peters back because really you're taking a roster spot away from somebody and you knew this was going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. this has been what he has done. And I'm not putting anything on Jason Peters. This is who he is at age 36 or whatever he is. He is, you know, he's he's had a lot of nicks and a lot of injuries over the last few years. And so he comes out of games. He did last year and the year before. But I was kind of surprised they actually kept him because of that. Like, you dropped a guy in the first round, just play him. But, you know, you've got a great coach, you know, um, offensive line coach. So just let him coach him up and go play. Uh, they've got four other quality, quality players on the offensive line. If he struggles, you help him out. And there's ways to do that. But, I, I mean, this is time to go put your big boy pads on. It's Dallas week. There's no better feeling if you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan than going to win in Dallas. I know. I was there. It's the best feeling in the world to go to Dallas and win. So it's, you know, it's our biggest rivalry as an Eagles. It's good for him to get thrown into it. Let him feel what that's all about. Because hopefully he's the left tackle for the next 10 years. And he plays in 20 or 25 of these games. Yeah. So, all right, let's, let's make a prediction before we get into some other games. I, I really can't decide. I'm 50-50 on this. I think injuries obviously play a big role. The Eagles are going to be without Jason Peters, as we discussed, probably without Nigel Braddon, which impacts their ability to stop the run, and then probably once again without Deshaun, although I think there is an outsider shot he plays. And even if he can just run down the field, that really impacts things. Cowboys are really banged up as well, but for all the reasons you said, like I think the Cowboys need this game more than the Eagles do. I don't think the Cowboys are as good as I did at the beginning of the season, but I'm also not sure they're like lose four games in a row bad. If they lose that, then you could really see see their season spiral. I'm not sure they're at a point where their season's ready to spiral away. And I also honestly don't trust Carson Wentz in a big game on the road. He consistently loses those games. So I'm going to pick the Cowboys in this one. Real quick, Baldy, who are you picking? I'll take the Cowboys. I mean, I don't think they're playing well, but I, I think their issues will be well addressed uh, all week long. Uh, I, I'll take the Cowboys because I just don't see the Eagles. I'm tired of watching them flounder around to start these games. And that's what yeah. they do. They just flounder around. And you can't – that's not good football. I mean, you can point up points scored in the first quarter, 24 points in six games. I mean, all that stuff. But there's a reason why you flounder around. You're just not – you haven't found your identity. And you, you haven't figured out how to start these games yet. And so, to me, I just feel like all they do is just – put a bunch of plays out there and try to see which ones work. Uh, I don't feel like there is a game plan that fits this team yet that mm-hmm. gets them started fast. And and I and I, I think Eagle fans recognize that as well. And I don't think there's Deshaun Jackson coming in is going to make a difference. I mean, they were sound 17 nothing to the Redskins with Deshaun Jackson. They flounder around, and that's not good football. It's not winning football. Yeah, the first quarter has definitely been a challenge for them. They've never beaten Ezekiel Elliott in a game when they've played. So Ezekiel's been a challenge. But, Baldy, you know what else can be a challenge? I know you already know the answer to this, and that's hiring. Yep. As Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered, hiring can be a challenge. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. So what did she do, Baldy? She went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. 
Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter, and she said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And if the Cowboys lose, they might be using ZipRecruiter to find a new head coach. So see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes, all sizes and you can try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So before we wrap this one up, Baldy, I wanted to look at three, quickly, three games on the schedule this week. <clears throat> Not as good of a slate, honestly, as there have been in past weeks. I mean, it's always good to get another week of football. But one game I wanted to touch on first, New Orleans at Chicago. Uh, what do you see when you look at that matchup? Well, right now, I mean, Chicago's had two weeks to get ready since they got whipped by Oakland over in London. So that yeah. helps. But I like everything about what I watch in New Orleans, Elliot. I mean, they, they define what a team is all about. And you only know how good a team really is when you lose a player like Drew Brees. And you go 4-0. And it doesn't matter what the scores of these games are. Um, they went into Jacksonville, and they took them apart. And defensively, I don't care what the stats say, um, they just sh- have shut down in successive weeks guys like Chris Carson, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Ronald Jones, and last week they shut down Leonard Fournette. It starts with shutting the rundown. Marshawn Lattimore and Stephon Gilmore are the two best corners in football right now. Right now, Marshawn is taking on all comers on. Number one wide receiver, he's taking them out, and he's shutting them down. And then Dennis Allen is just a creative defensive coordinator, and he knows how to make things difficult, and he will for Chase Daniel this week. There's nothing about this Saints team that I don't love. I think that Sean Payton challenges this team every single day. And this team is deep. They're talented. They've overcome the loss of a Hall of Fame quarterback. Nothing against Teddy Bridgewater. He's been just fine. He's doing what he's been paid to do. But this team is just personifies what a team is all about. And everybody mm-hmm. has contributed to the success. And I don't think it's going to stop in Chicago this weekend. Yeah, I, I actually I saw a theory online, which I kind of agree with, which is this is maybe better for the Saints because you rest Drew Brees. He doesn't go through that second half swoon. And obviously, as you mentioned, I think it's really brought them together as a team. Uh, I'm picking the Saints in this one. It's hard for me to pick against them in, at, at this point. Um, as you mentioned, they're just a complete team. I think they're probably the best team in the NFL right now. Uh, Texans at Colts, the two teams that have beaten the Chiefs over the last two weeks, slowly getting in that conversation. The Texans, I guess, already are, but getting in that conversation for the best teams in the AFC um, outside of the Patriots, although the Patriots haven't really beaten that many good opponents yet. I'm I'm interested to see them against a really good team. Uh, Texans at Colts, what do you you think of that game? Well, I just saw the Texans live. And, you know, sometimes you see a team live. You talk to Deshaun Watson before a game. You talk to Bill O'Brien. Um, Laramie Tunsil has been worth every bit of draft capital they gave up to get him. Uh, they've rebuilt the offensive line. Deshaun Watson was barely touched last week. He wasn't sacked. He was barely hit. But they're the number one team in the league right now. This is a great stat. And I know we are overstat in this business. But they're number one in the NFL right now, Elliot, um, on third down conversions, completing over 51%. And last week, when they were stuck on third downs, Third and short or fourth down on two fourth down tries, including the final two minutes of the game. I mean, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins to play two-man basketball out there on the football field. 
And DeAndre Hopkins just runs some shake routes, and Deshaun Watson uses his athletic ability, and he just trusts him to get him the ball. Bill O'Brien trusts him, and they just extend these drives. And right now, you know, I I, I love the way the Texans are playing. They're better without Shadevian Clowney. They're all in. Um, this Lonnie Johnson, I mean, actually every, every kid that came out of Kentucky last year is, is really contributing. They played without Jonathan Joseph, Lonnie Johnson stepped up, played great. Uh, I really like this. And I like the Colts too, a lot. I think they're very similar type teams, but I really like the way the Texans are playing right now. And Deshaun Watson, I'm um, God bless him. We need great quarterbacks in this business. He is so confident in what he is looking at. And he just personifies what a leader is all about. You read his Twitter page, Elliot, during the week. I mean, God spends every single free second of the day doing charity work that nobody yeah. goes unnoticed. He's just a great kid and a great leader, and he's a truly ascending player in this league. And soon, very soon, they're going to get Kenny Stills added to that wide receiving core, and it might be the most dangerous in the NFL. Yeah, I agree. The Texans, they go into Indy this week. They're certainly making statements each week. But you go into Indy, you beat the Colts, then you're really in that conversation for best teams in the AFC. So very exciting matchups coming up. I'm excited to break them all down with you next week, Baldy, on the next episode of the Prevent Defense Podcast. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And you can subscribe to us. Please leave us those ratings and some reviews. It helps us go a long way. So, Baldy, I will catch you next week. All right, Elliot.